I changed the batteries out in this so they don't die just like the other ones did. Um, as I opened up with the fact that when we read Romans 3 and Romans 6, what we see is that outside of a Savior, we had no hope. And this morning, um, as, we, as you see on the screen, we're going to be in John chapter 20. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 29. Uh, once again, a lot of verses, um, but there's so much to this story. I think it's so important that we look at all of it rather than just pieces and parts of it this morning. But as we get into that, I just want to read a verse out of John chapter 6 for us. Um, and it's John chapter 6, verse 38. And it says this, But Simon Peter answered him, Look to whom, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In this moment, just to kind of give some context of what's going on, is that John in chapter 6, he's talking about this moment when Christ looked out and the only ones left were the disciples. See, what happened in John chapter 6 in the beginning of the chapter is this, this moment when Christ feeds the 5,000. He takes and He has a few fish and a few pieces of bread and He feeds 5,000 with them. And the people were amazed. They were, they were amazed at what Christ had done and they followed after Him. But then... Um, Jesus sends the disciples out into the water by boat and Jesus goes and he spends some time by himself with the God, uh, God the Father. Uh, and then he finds himself on the boat with the disciples by walking on water. See, these are big stories we know. And Jesus walks on water and he comforts the disciples and, um, and then they come back the next day and they're on the land and this group of 5,000 uh, were looking for Jesus again and they were expecting them to, him to feed them once again. They were wanting Jesus to feed them again and instead He tells them that this hard thing to understand. And I'm paraphrasing this morning, but He ultimately says that He is the manna from heaven and that they would have to eat of His flesh and drink of His blood so for it to be saved. And obviously Christ wasn't meaning this literally. He was saying that He would be the sacrifice that would bring a hope to humanity. And after he preached this, after he, he had presented this to the crowd, he looked out and there was only 12 men left. And he looks at them and he says, are you going to now leave also? He looks out and there's a crowd of people following him and he teaches this hard thing for them to understand. And then he finds himself with only the 12 and he asks them in, in, in this almost this sad way, are you going to leave me too? And this is when Peter responds. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In this moment, Peter, um, he presents this, this understanding that we need to understand this morning. But Peter doesn't always live this out, right? Because what we see last week when we talked about this uh, arrest and trial and death and crucifixion and, and burial of Christ, what was Peter doing in this time period? He was denying Christ three times. He did exactly what he said he wouldn't do and he left Christ. But we see that he is redeemed by God, uh, by Christ and in the, in the, in whenever he raises from the dead and Christ forgives him and, and he encourages him and all of that. But the point this morning is that Peter, uh, just like everyone else in this time, did not really understand what Christ was about to do. See, they were looking at Christ as this physical king. They were expecting this manly man to come and to, to, to 
fight wars and battles and bring freedom to the people of Israel on the earth rather than an eternal battle. And so when, they, when Christ had died and He was put in this tomb, we're going to look at it in a minute, they, they find themselves going to the tomb looking for the body, but the body isn't there and they are shocked by it. Because they were not looking for Christ to raise again, even though Jesus had told them that many of times. See, in this moment of Christ's death, when He was laid in a tomb and the rock was put over it, the disciples had no hope. The one that would bring salvation did not because they didn't truly understand what was going on. This morning, I want us to understand where they're coming from because it is important. Because this is the same hope that we did not have before Christ. This is the same hope that we would not have if Jesus would not have rose from the dead. If, if Christ would have just died the death that He died and never would have rose again, He would not have brought salvation to many. So if you would, look at, look at John chapter 20 with me. But as we get into it, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, wretched people we are, God. Sinful by nature. As King David exclaims in the Psalms, that we were born into iniquity. God, we were wretched and sinful. And you, fall, you found it fit to save us regardless. You found it fit to not only send Son to be put on the cross and to endure your wrath, but to raise again. And God, because of that, we have a hope that we never would have had. Because of that, we have a peace and an understanding that no matter what happens in our life, you are going to be there and take care of us. But more importantly than anything else, God, that if nothing else goes good in our life, you brought us salvation and a hope of an eternity with you rather than an eternity away from you. And God, because of that hope, because of the resurrection of Christ, not only do we meet here this morning, God, but we meet here every Sunday morning. And God, I thank You for that. And I just pray this morning as we reflect once again on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God, we preach the Gospel to ourselves, that if we don't know You, God, that You, you, call, ourselves, you call us to You, God, and we respond to You in great joy and we come to the knowledge of saving grace. And God, that if we do know You, God, that you, you not only, we, we not only preach the Gospel to ourselves and that we understand what it is that You did, God, but we understand that You are calling to us to something greater than what we may be doing right now. This morning, I pray that your will be done and not mine. In your son's holy name, amen. John chapter 20. Um, we're going to look at different parts of it, but we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 10. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth laying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the others, uh, but folded up in the place by itself. And then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that they must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. What we see is that Mary Magdalene, um, that she didn't understand that Christ was going to raise from the dead, even though he had preached this and he had told them all this. She really just did not understand. And we see later on that it said the disciples didn't either. Not until they saw it for themselves, not until they, they saw the tomb empty and they saw the cloths laying there and they see and then they believe. But what we see is that Mary Magdalene, she gets to this tomb and she, when she gets there, the tomb is empty and she goes to these two disciples, Peter and most likely John, and she tells them that somebody took the body away. That somebody stole the body of Christ and then hid it so they would not know where it was. And so what happens is these two disciples, they, they take off running to the tomb and when they get to the tomb, one is hesitant to go in and the other one goes right on in there. Peter goes right on in there and when they see everything that they saw, they believed and they understood that Christ had to be raised from the dead. And Christ had taught this. He explained this to them time and time again that on the third day He would raise again. But they really just did not understand. See, they were, as I started with, they were looking for that king like David was. Well, Saul was this big burly king that would deliver them from giants and from persecution and from exile. But they got a king that was found in the grave and then rose again. And, and in this moment, this is when the hope has set in. But let's go on. Let's look at verse 11 through 18. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stood, stooped to look into the tomb as she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to the woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you speaking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father, but go to the brothers and say to them, I have ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Madeline went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord as she had said these things to them. And he said to the things to her. So in the second part, Mary, she sticks around. The other two disciples, they leave and they go back home. And Mary, she sticks around and she is bawling. She's weeping. She's in, in, in agony over the death of, of Christ because she had put her hope in him. And, and she was crying and she stoops in the tomb and she sees these two angels. And, and they ask the simple question is, why are you weeping? Really what she was saying, what the angels were saying to her, and it was what Jesus says in a minute, is ultimately, what are you looking for? Christ isn't in the tomb. Christ isn't the one that would, be, that would still be in the tomb after three days. Mary turns around after she talks to the angels. She turns around and she sees a man and it's Jesus, but she thinks it's the gardener. And the funny thing I see is that, that she blames the gardener. 
She says, if you've taken the body away, tell me where it is and I'll take it and I'll dispose of it. I'll, I'll do something with it. But, she, but Jesus responds and He just says, Mary. A simple response. Mary. Maybe it's the fact that He knew her name. Maybe it's the way He said it. But whatever the case was, this right here was the moment for when Mary realized that Christ was risen from the grave. When He looks at her, He calls her Mary. This morning when I look at this and I look at the disciples, you see two different times that both of them come to this realization that Christ had risen from the grave. In just a minute, we're going to look at another one. But what we see is that this is the moment when she realized that Christ has risen from the grave. And because of that, she goes and she announces to the other disciples that Christ had risen and that she teaches, she tells them everything that Jesus said to her. This is an amazing thing. It's, it's so simple. We've heard this story time and time again. But what we see is that, that they were looking for a body, but the body isn't there. And when they realized that Christ had really did what He said He was going to do, he, they found this hope. Then verse 18, uh, 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when, you, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to him, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, there are forgiven of them. If you for, uh, withhold forgiveness, from any it is withheld what we see is that christ and this is this is also an amazing story and we're going to see it again in a second is the disciples are in this room uh we really don't know what room this is it doesn't tell us where they're at or nothing like that but they're in this room and the doors are locked okay i want you to understand this that they're in the room the doors are locked and jesus comes and stands among them all right, so I'll think back to my childhood, and this amazed me when I understood this for the first time that my granddad, he taught this to me and he showed this to me, is that Jesus walked through this wall, okay? All right, I want y'all to understand this, which he is, you know, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, so he can do what he wants. But the door was locked, the, the, the door was shut and locked, and there's no way Jesus came in, but he walks and he stands among them and he says, peace be with you. And they say that it's, uh, a spirit uh, in other versions of the gospel in Matthew and Mark and all that. We see that they say it is a spirit and Jesus says, peace be with you. This is the moment where Christ, he reveals himself to the other disciples. We see that he's revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, to Peter and to John. Uh, and now he's talking to other disciples, uh, but not all of them. There's one that's left out uh, and that is Thomas. And we'll look at him in just a second. And he walks through this door and he reveals himself to him and he puts his hands down. I imagine this is my way. He puts his hands down and he turns to the side and he shows them the holes and he shows them the holes in his side. And he shows that it is the risen king the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that this is Christ Himself. And this is when they believe, is that when they see for themselves that this is the Christ. But two things I want to point out that He calls them to in here, and I just want to mention them. He says that uh, in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In a minute, we'll look more at this, but Christ gives them a command here. He's sending them to do something. 
And then the second thing we see is in verse 23. If you forgive the sins uh, of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness for any, it is withheld. He, he tells them that he's sending them to go and to do, but he's also telling them to forgive others if they want to be forgiven. And this is most likely because the, the disciples were probably um, mad at the government, mad at the Jews for crucifying Christ. And he's telling them, look, that you're called to go and do what I've called you to do, but you're also called to forgive if you desire to be forgiven. All right, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, said to the twins, called the twin was not with them. Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas is most likely the last of the 11 remaining to see um, Christ revealed and the other disciples they come to him and they tell him that Jesus is rose from the dead just like he said he would and Thomas he says I'm not going to believe unless I actually put my finger where the nails and the spear went Thomas is why we call him doubting Thomas right because he doubted but then in verse 26 eight days later so, so Jesus has revealed himself seven or eight days. And eight days later, we see his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Once again, doors locked, doors shut. Jesus stands among them and says, Then said to Thomas, Put your finger here. I see my hand and put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Question mark. He's asking him this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What we see is there's four accounts that Christ reveals himself after the resurrection to Mary Magdalene, to John and Peter, to the, about nine of the, eight of the other disciples, and the end with Thomas. But all of these circumstances, they believe after Christ revealed himself to them. But this ending statement is one I want to focus on. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. He's talking about us this morning. He's talking about us that blessed are those that don't see Christ risen directly. Those that don't have to see the physical Christ and touch his hands and touch his side to believe that he has been risen from the grave. This morning, if you would, uh, I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. You don't have to turn with me there, uh, but I'm going to read it this morning just to help us understand a little more. Um, 50, 15, 54 through 58. When the parable were 50, he says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised uh, imperishable, and we shall be changed for the imperishable body must put on the imperishable. 
and the mortal body must be on the immortal. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, um, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I began by uh, reflecting on the, the moment that Christ was being crucified, but also the fact that in Romans 3 and Romans 6, we see that we are sinful, that we are flesh, that we are broken and fallen humanity. But because of the death of Christ, we have been forgiven and have the opportunity to respond to Him. And this is an amazing thing here. He says that the, the perishable will not uh, inherit the imperishable. That the, the earthly, the, the sinful, that those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those, uh, to put in simple terms, that those that have not been redeemed by Christ will not go to heaven. Those that don't call on the name of Jesus do not go to heaven. Why? Because at the name of Christ. All people will bow because of what Christ has done. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is because that Christ conquered it on that day. That Christ conquered hell, death, and the grave. And there is no more for those who come to Christ that when we fall asleep that we will wake up in the kingdom of heaven. Death has no victory anymore. Death has no sting because of what Christ has done for us. This means that if, if you're here and you, and you don't know Christ, if you've never really come to this realization of this victory that we have in Jesus on this day 2,000 years ago, that you can receive this. That you can come to the victory. That you can come to the salvation and the hope that the disciples found. But he also says at the end of all of that, he says, blessed of those who do not have to see that believe. The disciples believed and so can we. But then in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He says that because of the victory we have in Christ, he, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that we're called to do something because of it. Christ didn't die to be this free ticket alone for us to have salvation and to go to heaven. It's not just this free ticket that we, we can get saved and live how we want to and do what we want to now. It is this idea that Christ came and He redeemed us and He saved us so that what? So that we can do something with it. We're not called to salvation to sit into a pew or to sit at the house and to never use it and to never tell someone about it. But we're called to always abound in the work of the Lord. See, Jesus tells them uh, whenever he, he reveals himself to the disciples in that room the first time, he says that I, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And then I think about the last thing that Christ says to the disciples. We see it in Matthew 28 or we see it in Acts 1.8 that we're called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're called to do something now that Christ is risen from the grave and He is sitting on the right hand of the Father and He is calling us to live like that. So often, we believers, we get to a point in our life that we live like we don't have a hope. We live like Christ really didn't die and really didn't rise again because we live just like we did before we found out. We're just like these disciples. And when you read other accounts, what you see is that there's two disciples that leave the city and they're going back. Or if you read another account, there's disciples in a boat fishing and Jesus comes to them and they uh, eat breakfast on the shore after He tells them to cast the nets on a certain side of the boat. See, so often we do just like these disciples did. We get it to a point to where we live like we did before. We don't do what God has called us to do. We go back to what we know. But God is calling us to one or two things this morning. He's calling those that have not truly come to this knowledge of Him to respond to the grace and mercy that is found in the resurrection of Christ. Or He is calling us to tell someone about I don't mean this to discourage. I don't mean this to make you feel bad. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? See, this is the day that we all um, get together and there's people that, uh, I don't think there's any here, but there's people that never go to church. They find themselves in the church this morning. Uh, I think all of you come pretty regular. But we see this, right? We see that this is a day that we gather together and we focus on the gospel. But so often, what about every other day? See, we can tell somebody we went to church this morning and we celebrated the resurrection. We can put on Facebook, Happy Easter. We can put on Facebook, Happy Resurrection. We can do all of these things. But what about tomorrow? What about the next day? See, the same God that rose from the dead today was risen yesterday. And the day before that, and the day before that, and it's calling us to do something, not to sit down and relax, not to go back to what we know, but to live like we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. This morning, as Sean and Michelle comes, um, I got a simple question for you. Is one, have you come to this hope that we have in Christ? Have you really come to this understanding that you are sinful and fallen and broken and that you have no hope in yourself and that you need a Savior, but you have not responded to that Savior? Do you need to come to salvation? Is He calling you this morning? If He is, I pray that you respond positively and not like the rich young ruler that walked away in shame. Or maybe you're here and without a doubt you know you've been saved. You know you've responded to this hope, that you know this hope has changed you like, it, like never before, and that you're not like you used to be, but you do find yourself not doing what God's called you to do. I think we all have a little bit of that in us. This morning, are you going to respond to that? Are you going to allow God to continue to change you? See, we're called to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. 
because we're fleshly and sinful. And if we don't, if we're not where we need to be with God, then we fall back into those tendencies. And what he's calling us to do is to do something for him. He says, I have sent you just as the Father has sent me. This morning, if you're here and you've called on the name of Christ and you've been saved, God is sending you. Jesus is sending you out into the world to make disciples. Are you going or are you sitting? Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. I just pray right now as we look at the death last week, we look at Christ's body being laid in a tomb where there was no hope in this moment for anyone. We have seen, we seem like it was defeated and, and that death uh, had won and the Satan had won. But God, we know that this day, 2,000 years ago, that Christ had rose from the grave and He has brought the death to no longer exist, that He has brought the sting of sin and He has conquered it all and provided a hope that we can never earn on our own God, but was found in Him. This morning I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that doesn't know this hope, that doesn't allow this hope to change their life. God, I pray that they come and that God, if you're calling them, they respond. This morning, I pray that if there's some here, including myself, God, that when we realize that we're really not doing what we're called to do, God, I pray that you, you share to us that, God, that you call us to do something greater and God, that you push us in such a way, God, that we respond. But God, I pray that we desire to live for you. Pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. I'm here if you want to talk about anything. If you want to come down to the altar and pray. I just encourage you that as God's word has been put out there, he is sending us and he is saving us. Which two ways do you need to respond this morning? If you would stand with us.